Welcome to the Stop Drinking Podcast, where we help you make stopping drinking a simple, logical, and easy decision. We help you with tips, tools, and strategies to start living your best life when alcohol-free. If you want to learn more about Stop Drinking Coaching, then head over to www.soberclear.com. Have you ever believed something about alcohol addiction only to find out that you might be completely wrong? Well, today we are debunking the four most widespread myths about alcohol addiction. And trust me, number four is a game changer that most people get wrong. Listen, if you think you know it all, then I really challenge you to watch this entire video. We've got an essential tip at the end of the video that might just reshape how you view addiction. So myth number one is that alcohol is far less harmful than cigarettes. So let's destroy this because it's one of the most pervasive myths in society today. That drinking alcohol is somehow far less harmful than smoking tobacco. That as bad as alcohol addiction can be, it simply doesn't compare to the damage from cigarettes. So let's take a look at the facts. Cigarettes do kill more people than alcohol. This is true. And the difference is quite large. According to the CDC, cigarettes claim the lives of around 480,000 Americans every year. Alcohol, on the other hand, will kill around 140,000 Americans annually. Now, as the CDC notes, cigarettes easily kill more people than all other drugs combined along with alcohol. But behind these numbers lies a very important difference. Statistically, those who die from alcohol will do so far younger than the smokers. According to the CDC, smokers will die on average 10 years younger than non-smokers. But drinkers who die from alcohol will lose on average 26 years of their life. A very large difference, which is partly due to the very large number of young people's lives that alcohol claims typically in a violent manner. Now, as harmful as tobacco is, it is far less likely to kill young people. The damage is almost always cumulative and shows up later in life, when your best years have already long gone and you're not that removed from your natural death. So at the end of the day, the total number of life years lost through tobacco and alcohol are not that far off. And because alcohol is far more deadly among the younger age brackets, the damage to society and the economy can often be far larger than cigarettes. Now, a myth number two is the addictive personality. Now, on the face of it, this concept of the addictive personality, it makes sense. There are certain observations that support this idea. For starters, there's the simple fact that most people will never actually develop a drinking habit to the point of an addiction, whereas a sizable minority will. This applies even to cohorts of people that are very closely matched and live in very similar environments, like undergraduates at a specific university or even military personnel that are stationed at a particular military base. Now, only some will drink to the point where it becomes a serious problem. This same minority of people will also tend to become addicted to other substances, usually tobacco, but often also prescription or even street drugs. Actually, not just substances. Some people seem prone to addictions of any sort, like gambling, pornography, the internet, you name it. They just seem incapable of controlling themselves. So there must be something special about these people, surely, right? Surely there must be something different with their personality. It must be addictive. Now, there are several problems with this idea. First, its proponents never bother to give a good definition of the concept, of what exactly this addictive personality is. And if you press them, the ridiculousness of the whole idea soon becomes apparent. They'll start describing the behavior of somebody who is addicted with their inability to control their inhibitions, the chaotic lifestyle, and all of that stuff. But this is merely a description of how addicted people act. It doesn't tell us anything about how and why somebody became addicted in the first place. It's useless as an explanation. Not only does it not explain anything, but it's also completely useless in terms of prediction. In other words, you can't take a group of people who are not yet addicted, administer them some sort of personality test, and then 
predict who will become addicted and who will not. See, if the idea of an addicted personality was valid, then this would have been done a long time ago because alcoholism and addiction in general are one of the most heavily studied areas in social and life sciences. But nobody's done it and nobody ever will because the concept is a non-starter. When you step back a bit and view it from a history of science perspective, the notion of the addictive personality is actually quite straightforward. Now, often in the history of science, when scientists don't understand a phenomenon, they imbue it with certain mystical qualities, with certain essences. Now, this is called essentialism. So a famous example of this is in the four elements in antiquity, when philosophers thought that all matter is made up of earth air, fire, and water. Essentialism was even more widespread in biology. For centuries, people couldn't understand how the various species, for example, that of a man and a rabbit, looked so familiar at early stages of embryonic development and then diverged so dramatically during gestation, birth, and adulthood. A reasonable-looking conclusion was that there was something qualitatively different between a man and a rabbit, that human embryos must have a human essence that leads to them becoming human adults. And those of rabbit have a rabbit essence, which transforms the rabbit embryo into a fully grown rabbit. Now, eventually, when modern genetics came along towards the end of the 19th century, scientists understood that there is nothing qualitatively different between the different embryos, that the basic reason the species diverged so much in their development is simply differences in the genetic code, which we now know as DNA. There is no such thing as species essence. But for this realization to come along, biology and genetics had to mature as a science. And the reality is that for all of the billions spent on researching addiction, scientists to this day know almost nothing about it they don't really understand it. And sometimes, rather than just admit that they don't know, they come up with essentialist ideas like the addictive personality. Why are some people alcoholics and drug abusers while most people are not? So they say that it must be something fundamentally, qualitatively different about them. So they say it's a mysterious thing called the addictive personality, which is why this idea became so popular among certain scientific circles, at least until a few years back, because by now, addictive personality as a scientific theory is basically dead. Now, myth number three is that it's a lifelong condition that requires indefinite treatment. Listen, alcoholism is not a lifelong condition and it does not require indefinite treatment. There are millions and millions of people all over the world who have stopped drinking immediately, cold turkey, and they do it all the time without any formal treatment or program whatsoever. One day, they just said, enough is enough. I won't go on living like this. And they simply never had another drink. Not only do millions of people abruptly stop drinking, many of them stay sober for the rest of their lives. And so many people do it without any sort of follow-up treatment of any kind. They just put the bottle behind of them and go on with their lives. Alcohol is something that is now firmly in their past. You see, if alcoholism was a lifelong condition, this simply would not be possible. On this channel, we have covered tons of celebrities like Bradley Cooper, Robert Downey Jr., Drew Barrymore, and Charlie Sheen. Some of these individuals had previous experience with Alcoholics Anonymous or expensive rehab treatments, which sometimes even led to temporary sobriety and eventually relapse. Now, can you actually imagine how difficult it must have been for some of these people to stay sober when they've had to routinely and very publicly remind themselves that they were now alcoholics and they were going to be alcoholics for the rest of their life? But despite that, on the day of their last drink, something clicked inside them. They threw away the bottles and never looked back. For Robert Downey Jr., this was as he was driving his car one day. He simply stopped threw all the drugs into the sea, and that was it. He never touched alcohol or drugs ever again in his life. These people don't consider themselves alcoholics today, many years after their last drink. They didn't see the need to get treatment for something that no longer exists. Now, having said that, does that mean that a former alcohol addict is the same as a non-drinker or even a casual social drinker? Well, 
actually, it doesn't. If you do have years of heavy drinking under your belt, certain parts of your brain have been modified in subtle but irreversible ways. Again, this is not to say that you will need treatment for the rest of your life. Clearly, you won't. But there will always be differences to a non-drinker. Just like somebody who's had an operation and will always be different to somebody who has not, even if the condition is now completely resolved. These scars will always be there. Which brings us to the next point. Myth number four. Drinking in moderation is the answer. You see, the myth of drinking in moderation is now so widespread in our society that it's almost like a dogma. If you go to your family doctor or a general practitioner with your drinking problem, chances are is that they will recommend that you cut down, that you drink in moderation, responsibly. Now, unbeknownst to most people, the concept of drinking responsibly is actually promoted by the alcohol industry themselves. They literally spend countless millions of dollars every year in drink responsibly messaging. Do you think if something like this really worked that they would actually be promoting it? Forgive me if I'm a bit skeptical. Now, here is the reality. Years of heavy drinking results in a number of changes in your brain. These changes are called neuroadaptations. Many of these neuroadaptations will completely reverse after you stop drinking. But others will not reverse, at least not 100%. And we know today that a certain number of these permanent new adaptations take place in the so-called reward system of your brain. Now, this is responsible for processing rewarding stimuli in the environment. Things like food, sex, and drugs of all kind, including alcohol. Now, because your reward system is permanently modified after years of heavy drinking, it will never allow you to process that one first drink in the same way as a non-drinker. Now, this applies, say, if you decide to only drink on weekends, but you haven't had a drop in five days. Or if you decide to only drink on special occasions, but you haven't had a drop in weeks, months, or even years. The thing is, is your brain will simply not be able to process that first drink in the way that some people who have never been addicted will. And you will relapse into full-blown heavy drinking in no time, which is why drinking in moderation is a strategy that is guaranteed to fail you. The only rational solution to a drinking problem is to decide that you will never have another drink in your life. Thanks for checking out the Stop Drinking podcast by Sober Clear. If you want to learn more about how we work with people to help them stop drinking effortlessly, then make sure to visit www.soberclear.com.